Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. This week, lead pastor Matt Dean continues our series on following Jesus in Mark chapter 5. Well, good morning. If you're new here, I want to welcome you. If you're watching online, I want to welcome you as well, too. Uh, We are continuing in our series, Following Jesus. Uh, This morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, continuing to look at the life and the ministry of Jesus. As you turn in your Bibles there, I just want to remind you that Mark was written in the context of first century Christianity where people were facing and fearing persecution. And part of how this was written was to give new believers and early believers courage and confidence in who Jesus is, that they can trust him with their lives, even in the face of danger. I think it's helpful because there are new, new believers in the room this morning and old believers in the room um, when we open the Bible, we should ask some really important questions consistently and together. Number one, what does this say about God? What does it say about Jesus? As we open and we look at Mark chapter 5 today, what, what is what we read help us see about Jesus? The next thing is, what does this tell us about humanity? What does the Word say about the sinfulness of man, the brokenness of man, not just morality, but just the broken state that humanity is? Another question is, what does God want me to know? Because I read the word, what is it that God wants me to know? And finally, God, what do you want me to do? What what do you want me to do? And so as we think, what does this text say about Jesus? What does this tell us about humanity or the sinfulness of humanity? What does God want me to know? And what what does God want me to do? I want us to jump in with that lens in mind this morning. So here we are in Mark chapter 5. It says, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of Gerasenes. And I just want to remind you, just before this in Mark chapter 4, Jesus and the disciples were in a boat. They were crossing over. So know this, that as we enter into Mark 5, Jesus knew what was going to happen in Mark 5, so to speak, because he was in the boat. This is the same ongoing story. They were in the boat. There was a chaos, a sea, a storm, all of that. Jesus says to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. Jesus already knew what was waiting for them on the other side, on the, quote, other side of the sea. So this is a continuation of the story of the disciples in Mark 4 as they're crossing this sea of Galilee. As they enter into this, it says, when Jesus had stepped out of the boat on the other side of the boat, immediately there met him uh, out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles, and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles and pieces. Look at this next line. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And this loud voice saying, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And Jesus saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And the man replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. This demon-possessed man, saying, don't send me out of the country. It says, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. Notice it went from singular to plural. They, the demons, are now saying, send us to the pigs. Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. 
So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits or the demons came out of this man and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion of demons sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus, depart from their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Then Mark changes the camera angle, so to speak. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Look at the detail. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came in fear and in trembling, and look at this detail, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But Jesus put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, Jesus says to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the little girl got up began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And Jesus strictly charged them that no one should know this and said to give her something to eat. What an amazing chapter. You put yourself back in the place of the first century church, they're hearing this about Jesus in the face of oncoming persecution, and they're asking the question, who is like our God? early believers gather together, who is like our God. So I want you to see this morning a few things, that Jesus has the power over chaos. 
He has the power over chaos. Jesus has the power over disease, and he has the power over death. That's what this chapter contains. We see that Jesus, through the lens of Mark, is demonstrating his power over chaos, his power over disease, and his power over death. So let's go back to the demon-possessed man for a moment in verses 1 through 20. It says that he was exiled from human contact, that no one could subdue him. That original language means tame or literally like an animal. This was a wild man, and he was exiled from community. He was alone in the mountains, among the tombs, among the dead where they were buried, and he was cutting himself with stones. That's a terrible scenario. This is a terrible scenario. A friend, after the first service this morning, he, he told me that one of his trips to Israel, he, his tour guide was telling him about this particular passage in Scripture, and it was such that the Sea of Galilee, when still, when calm, you could hear the voice of someone in torment across the water. Now just think about that, if that's the case, that this tormented, demon-possessed man crying out day in and night, naked, unbound, unshackled, cutting himself, was wailing and weeping, going out of his mind. And in Mark 4, Jesus says, let's go to the other side. Powerful to think that Jesus knew this man was already here. And here he is alone in the mountains, crying out, cutting himself in stones. But you need to know there are four layers of how unclean this man was. This unclean man was unclean because he was demon-possessed. So no Jewish rabbi would go to someone who was unclean in that way. This man lived among the dead. And living among the dead, among the tombs, from the Jewish perspective, is the worst possible place to live. And no Jewish rabbi would go and spend time among the tombs. That was against Jewish culture. And then this man lived in the Decapolis among the Gentile region, this, this cluster of 10 smaller cities. But those cities were inhabited by non-Jews, and non-Jews were considered unclean. So here's a man demon-possessed among the dead in a Gentile region. And then the fourth strike against him is that he lived near pig farmers. And you know, based on the Mosaic law and the Levitical law, that pigs were considered unclean according to Jewish custom. So here is this man, crazy, demon-possessed, naked, cutting himself, unbound, wild. He's unclean by proximity. He's unclean by nearing the dead. He's unclean because he's demon-possessed. And he's unclean because he lives near pig farmers, and don't you know that Jesus from across the lake said, let's go to him. And then when the demons see him, they say, what have you to do with me, Jesus, the son of the God, son of the most high God? This reveals that even the demons of hell knows what Satan knows, that there is an end to them, a limit on their days, and that Christ does and will have ultimate and final authority over evil. My name is Legion, for we, is, we are many. That's, that's what he says. And in the Roman army, there, a legion would be considered 5,600 men. Now, I don't know, no one really knows but Jesus, how many demons were in this man. But if the response was, my name is Legion, and in the time the Roman army, a legion was 5,600 men, that's a lot of demons in one person. So what are demons and where do they come from? We don't want to focus on that exactly, but we need to be informed from a biblical perspective. So we should know that somewhere between Genesis 1.31 and 3.1, there was a rebellion in the angelic realm, in the heavenly realms, where angels turned against God because sin had crept in. And so we see a couple places in Scripture. In 2 Peter, this is what it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, in other words, the angels 
sin, some of these angels sin, he cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. Jude mentioned this too. It says, the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, it says, God has kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So We know that there is a demonic realm. We know that there is the leader of all demons. His name is Satan. And we also know that at the cross, And at the resurrection, Christ has conquered that once and for all. And though we live among the power and in the presence of sin, those days are numbered. Our king is victorious. And we are not to underemphasize demonic realms nor overemphasize demonic realms. Our focus is Jesus who has authority over all darkness. And in Christ, you as a Christ follower, you have that same authority in his name, in his strength to be done with those things as well. As we move forward, I want you to continue to see in this story, it says that these demons, they were begging. They entered into the pigs, and the pigs do what? They, they drown. This man is healed. He's clothed in his right mind, and fear of Jesus begins to spread. They want him gone. Everyone wants him gone except the man who was healed. The man who was healed was begging him, can I please stay with you? Can I please stay with you? He wants to be with Jesus, but Jesus says, go home to your friends, which, side note, he has not seen in quite some time. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, how he has had compassion on you. If you just take that verse for a moment, and I said, hey, you, you go home to your friends, and you go tell them the great things the Lord has done for you. You go share the mercy he has done for you. So often in our Christian walk and in our relationships, we get offended by what other people have done, and we focus on what other people have done and ignore the fact there's a log in our own eyes. And sometimes we just need to own the fact that we have messed up, that I have messed up, that you have messed up, and let's not worry about what other people have done. They, I'm sure they've done wrong, but have you even owned your own stuff before the Lord? And what you'll find is that as you own your own sin and shortcomings and failures, that the mercy of God is adequate for you, and thereby your heart is softened within you, and you can go back to your friends or your wife or your children or your coworkers and say, let me tell you, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. I was struggling. I was off. I was angry. I was unkind. I said terrible things. I did terrible things. I made terrible choices. And then I went back to the Lord, and I said all those things to him. And in my time of need, when I approached his throne of grace, he helped me and set me free from the burdens I was bearing that was affecting the way I was relating to other people. Listen, if you've not done that, don't worry about your neighbor's problems. Worry about your own. Own your own stuff and live in this testimony. Go home to your friends. And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Here's why this is important. You cannot give away what you don't have. You can't give away compassion or patience or mercy or humility if you don't have it yourself. You cannot extend forgiveness to someone else if you have not truly been forgiven yourself. Psalm 66 says this way, come in here. All you who fear God, let me tell you what he has done for me. Come in here, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. We think about the power of Jesus over death and disease. This story 
is so powerful of the woman with the issue of bleeding and Jairus' daughter. And we see that Jairus, this man is a synagogue ruler, which is different than a rabbi. So he would be in charge of the building. He would be in charge of the service. He would be an administrator in many ways, but a prominent man in the community. And like this demon-possessed man, this father is facing a hopeless crisis, and he was desperate for help. No parent, no parent wants to see their child die, including this man. He was desperate. And Jesus, in the midst of many chaotic voices and a crowd all wanting his attention, and God's sovereignty and the goodness of Jesus, Jesus hears the desperate plea of a father who does not want his daughter to die. And then Mark changes the camera angle, so to speak, and there's this mid-story interruption of this woman with the issue of bleeding for many, many years. And ceremonially, she was unclean just like a leper, just like the demon-possessed man. Again, we see this theme throughout that the, the untouchables, so to speak, are touched by Jesus. That those on the outside, those on the margins, those on the extremes have been touched and personally known by Jesus. And this woman was physically unclean, but ceremonially she was unclean, and she was experiencing physical discomfort and social discomfort and religious isolation. She was poor and isolated, and her condition was not getting better, it was getting worse. And when she reached out in faith, even if I could just touch the hem of his garment, it was faith that said, if I could just, just touch something of him, that she was healed. And then when Jesus says, who did that? I love the detail. She came forward, and she told him the whole truth. Just a moment. How many of you have told him the whole truth? I mean, he knows it. Have you said it? Because there's a difference between saying, I know that you're omniscient and you know all things, but let me tell you what I've done. Let me tell you how I've fallen short. Let me tell you what I truly am sorry for. Let me tell you the whole truth. And if you have not gone to the Lord with the whole truth of your confession, I don't know that you can fully appreciate his grace or mercy towards you. And yes, he knows all things, but for you to say, I've done these things, thought these things, said these things, and I need to bring these things to you and trust that under the weight of your mercy, by grace through faith in Jesus, I'm forgiven. That's an active faith on our part. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. And the camera angle changes, and Mark writes that Jesus goes back to Jairus' home, and outside this home, there's the chaos of wailing and professional mourners. Now, we don't know this, we don't think about this, but in this cultural context, people would pay other people to weep and mourn and wail outside the home when a loved one dies, and it was an indicator of economics. If you had a lot of money, you had a lot of wailers. If you had no money, you didn't have any wailers, and the louder the wailing, the more prominent this person was, and outside this synagogue ruler's home, there were many, many professional wailers because his daughter had died, and they wanted her death to be significant, but Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. And when he enters back into the room with the mother and the father and James and Peter and John, and he says in Aramaic, Talitha Kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. It's a miracle for the girl, for sure. It's a miracle that Peter, James, and John went, she was dead. But it's a miracle of mercy to the mom and dad who just watched their daughter die. We see in that the mercy of God. But what does Mark 5 help us see about Jesus? Number one, that Jesus has authority over chaos. 
and darkness. He has ultimate authority over chaos and darkness. And lightly said to the wind and to the waves, peace be still. When this demon-possessed man who was out of his mind, this man once crazy, the last thing Jesus says is, go and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you. Go and tell your friends about the mercy of God. Number two, that Jesus has authority over disease and death. That woman who in her desperation and her chronic bleeding condition reaches out to touch the hem of his garment. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. To the little girl, I say to you, arise. And we see throughout the gospel accounts of Jesus that he does heal many people, not all people, that he does heal disease, not all disease, that he does heal sickness, not all sickness. And we see the compassion of God on display in part through these demonstrations of a power and authority. But let me tell you the greater demonstration of power and authority is that he took on your sin and mine He took on all of that for all of us, for all who would believe. He took that on and took it to the cross, took it to the grave, and conquered over sin and grave. And when we think about greatest demonstrations of power and authority, it came through humble obedience to death, even death on a cross. As we jump into this chapter, I want you to continue to ask the question, what does it mean for me to follow Jesus? I'm asking you today, what does it mean for you to follow Jesus? Jesus. And just based on the scope of Mark 5 today, I want us to say, what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? So here's number one, to see for us as Christ followers, to see that there is no chaos beyond the scope of his ability to work for good for those who love him. He can work in your chaos. He can work in your chaos. I would argue he is at work in your chaos. Listen to this from Romans. And we know that for those who love God, All things, including chaos, work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul would go on and write then, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies and who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or chaos or whatever, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, in tribulation, in distress, in persecution, in famine, in nakedness, in danger, in sword, in chaos, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let it be. Let it be. Sit under that. There's no chaos that goes beyond his ability to care for you. Number two, to remember that as we ongoingly surrender our lives to Jesus and as we walk in obedience to him, we walk, so important, we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by feelings. We walk by faith and not by circumstances. We walk by faith and not our truth. We walk by the truth that God loves us and has given his best to us in Jesus. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he says this, finally, be strong in the Lord 
and in the strength of his might. Can I just pause for a moment? If you're out of energy, out of strength, out of go, out of give, out of mercy, out of patience, out of kindness, out of compassion, if you're at the end of yourself, that's great. Be strong in the Lord and in his might. If it's tough to forgive, if it's tough to confess, great. Be strong in the Lord and in his might. If you don't want to forgive that person, great. Be strong in the Lord and in his might. If your heart is crushed and broken, great. Be strong in the Lord and in his might. If you don't want to do it anymore, too bad. Be strong in the Lord and in his might. If your feelings don't align, too bad. Be strong in the Lord and in his might. If it's an unpopular decision, be strong in the Lord and in his might. If it's going to cost you something still, be strong in the Lord and in his might. If people may isolate you for the sake of the gospel, great. Be strong in the Lord and in his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That breastplate of righteousness, that guards your most important organs, and that says this is who you are in Jesus. The core of who you are, the essence of who you are, you have the righteousness of Christ. That breastplate protects what makes your life work. And as shoes for feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, and this is so key, in all circumstances, circle all, not some, in all circumstances, this is an active thing, take up the shield of faith. All circumstances, pick it up, take it up, hold it out, pick up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Please don't miss this. So often we exchange the shield of faith with a cup of feelings that will betray us. Hold the shield of faith, which is sure and steady, unlike water, which will just drip from your hands. Your feelings will betray you. So hold up the shield of faith, which means my faith is in Jesus. My faith is in God who loved me. My faith is in my perfect Father in heaven. My faith is what he has said about me, that I'm a son or I'm his daughter. My faith is that he says to me, I am forgiven. He says to me that the cross was enough. He says to me that I belong to him. And even if I don't belong to them, my faith says I belong to you. So rather than be betrayed by feelings, I'm holding out my shield of faith. And it says this in the word, that it can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Every lie you hear, what a terrible Christian you are. I can't believe you did it again. What a hypocrite you are. You're a terrible husband. You're a terrible father. You're a terrible son. You're a terrible daughter. I can't believe the very thing I tempted you with, you gave into, and you did it again, and then you did it again, and then you promised God you'd never do it again, but I saw you, and you did it again. How dare you do that again? And all the lies that we all hear, you hold up the shield of faith, it can extinguish all of them, because the faith is in the finished work of Jesus. And take on that helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times and in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And finally, for us today, 
follow Jesus means that we pursue the God who's pursued us. That we respond to his pursuit, that we know him and we know his word so that we know the truth, so that we can walk by the truth as his spirit is alive within us. Jesus speaks to the power of the Holy Spirit, to the role of the Holy Spirit, to cast light on the person of Jesus. He says this in John 16. When the spirit of truth, these are the words of Jesus, when the spirit of truth comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he, the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all truth. For he, the Holy Spirit, will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You are not on your own as you follow Jesus. You belong to him and you belong to a community of faith that helps together us work out this faith with fear and trembling. I want you to think for a moment, what do you need to hear this morning? What is it that you need to hear about God? And I just want to remind you, he has authority over the chaos in your life. And he pursues you in the midst of that. He goes, let's go to the other side of the sea. What, what, who needs to hear he's got authority over disease? He does. But let me just get specific. He has authority over COVID and cancer and heartache and mental illness, schizophrenia, multiple personality disorder, depression, anxiety, And the healing that we get, if not on this earth, is definitely and for sure in the life to come. And in Christ, you are healed and whole forever. And maybe you just need to be reminded he's sovereign over death. And that in his mercy, he's given you new life forever and ever and ever. And 10,000 years will be like a day. And there'll be an infinite number of 10,000-year segments forever. And you will be free from sorrow and sickness and sadness, and you will behold the one whom your heart desires. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, we love you. We honor you. Hey, thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about Grace Auburn Church online at graceauburn.church, or you can download the Church Center app from the App Store.